As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. Bruce, big news in our world this week, and I'm not talking about how Tom Brady is going to be your coworker soon, um, or that, uh, what did I just see? Uh, Lou Malnati's, your favorite, favorite, favorite pizza place coming to Columbus, Ohio. Next time you're at a Buckeye game. I was hoping you were going to say it's coming to Southern California. It doesn't do me really, it helps Bill Landis and doesn't really help. Yeah. I feel like you end up, both of us end up in Columbus at least once a year. The NCAA issued new guidelines Monday um, to clarify, to try to get started on some sort of crackdown of these booster collectives that we've been talking about for for many months now uh, that are quite clearly using NIL as an excuse to pay for, to pay for play. Uh, you, we were all in Scottsdale last week. It was the talk of the town. They're, they're, they're tired of the NCA sitting on the sideline. Gene Smith, the Ohio state AD, Rick George, the Colorado AD. A lot of these people, they're fed up. They want the NCA enforcement to get off their butts and go bust some collectives. And so they put out this, this memo clarifying that collectives uh, fit the definition of boosters and these third party Memos? What do you call them? I don't know. Release? I mean, memos feel like they're from like 1979. <laughs> well, a lot of things about the NCAA feel like they're from 1979. They did both. They put out a press release and then they sent a, I'll try to think of a different word, uh, a document out to all their members. You know, with Memo is short for memorandum, right? Mm-hmm. So there we have it. Okay. I didn't know memo was considered an outdated dated, uh, term. Oh, I, I think it is. I think it's, I think it's in the era of like the um, the phone booth. Do people still say when you're copying something? Do people still call it xeroxing? Only people older than us. Yeah, I think we're not far from people saying that about email. Anyway, um, your reaction? Uh, not surprised. You know, we talked about this last week in Scottsdale at the meetings. I mean, I did a story on Wednesday morning about, you mentioned Rick George. Rick George and the Compact 12 Commissioner George Klyovkov were saying, you know, according to what we'd reported, that the NCAA is looking to make an example of somebody. Um, the big issue, I, th- I think, as they were talking about it was... The NCA definition of a booster is once you're basically a booster, you're a booster for life. Um, and the pay for play is aspect of NIL, and we've talked about this a bunch in our podcast over the last month or so. NIL, in a lot of people's eyes, has devolved into pay for play. And whether it's a tiered system, uh, you know, schools may be having with NIL or not but once it comes to these collectives and you have taught and you personally have been reporting and talking to a lot of agents 
who've been shopping recruits, um, I think that's where a lot of uh, NCAA officials get very um, riled up because it's seen as enticement. And that, you know, this is a function of the NCAA kind of punting for so long. And uh, who was that guy who left after taking a bunch of millions of dollars and just walked away? The guy who ran the place. What was his name again? Um, oh, yeah. Mark, Mark Hammered. Yeah. Like yeah. just complete lack of leadership. This is what it kind of got them. And then finally, it's basically basically if you leave schools to their own devices, there's going to be a lot of them, especially the desperate ones to, to uh, become relevant again. They are going to get ultra aggressive and the money people are going to come into this. And it's, so it became this kind of feeding frenzy. And last week was really when it started to come to a head. And so here the NCA put out from its board of directors uh, on Monday, you know, and there's talk, well, will it be retroactive? They gave themselves the leeway to say it could be if it's egregious enough. But I also think what you know, what I had heard was, hey, they're not really talking about punishing the players. They're talking about punishing the schools and the coaches. And, you know, you and I have talked about the elephant in the room with all these collectives and saying, hey, they're going to pay this player, this three star, this guy six figures. Well, obviously, that has to be a tra- there has to be a trail from these coaching staffs. We're also not just going to randomly pick who the collective thinks the school should take as opposed to who this coaching staff wants. There's just a lot of stuff to unpack here. I think it's interesting that they're trying to define these, they're trying to say, you know, put out a blanket uh, rule that these collectives should be treated as boosters because they are, yes, they are. Why would they not be though? Like maybe they should, I'm not saying I I know one way or the other, but it is interesting because we think of a booster, we think of a person. Collectives are, you know, in most cases, an LLC, a company, you know, that many people work for. Is the is the receptionist a booster? Is the you know the 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 lawyer for the collective a booster? They're saying they are. So um, they're trying to say anybody from that business that contacts a recruit is violating those rules. I think that's one of many things that could be challenged if if one of these things ends up going to court, which it will. Um, you know, I think in talking to like you said, agents, lawyers. Um, actual boosters over the weekend they think that any attempt like we think we're college sports fans and we think it's it's obvious right a booster getting involved with a recruit is a violation it has always been a violation and i remember when david ubbins first article about spire sports the the tennessee one came out being just you know bewildered and and surprised that these guys were talking openly about how they meet with recruits that they were going to, you know, put significant funds into the 2023 class, and they were they. You know, I read back and read his article. They bragged that seven of the nine recruits they met with in last year's class signed with Tennessee. It just seemed like every, everything that I thought was a rule, these guys don't seem to think is a rule anymore, or they seem very confident that the NCAA is not going to enforce that rule. Um, so now they're going to try to enforce that rule, and I do think they've got more ground to stand on if they're focused on the contact part of it, which was a rule before NIL versus trying to mess with the money. But the counter argument that these people are making is if you, if you're, if you're saying to all these collectives, sorry, you're not allowed to participate. Like we're all, we're okay with athletes making NIL money, but we get to decide which, which kind of people get to give them that NIL money, that that is an antitrust violation because you're, you know, if you, if you could successfully weed all the boosters out of this i don't think they can but if they could um then the dollar amounts would go down there would be fewer uh bidders for their rights and therefore um somebody a lawyer would gladly make that uh, take that to court and say you are manipulating the free market you're suppressing these uh, athletes ability to earn compensation and based on justice kavanaugh's scathing opinion last summer many believe that that that's it would end up exactly the same that the that the supreme court would come down and say that's illegal you can't do that but there are other lawyers who think it's not quite that clear cut so i think that the nca must really like spending time in court because that's where this is headed 
whichever school they like you said whatever yeah that's that's what i'm gathering that they feel like well we gotta at least try we gotta we gotta go down swinging if we get sued again and they say we can't do it okay but this is they feel like this is a fundamental rule that their whole enterprise is built upon that boosters can't bid for recruits and so they're going to try to enforce it um but as you know that could be very expensive for them um and I get the sense that everybody loves, like you said, rag on Mark Emmert, rag on the end. I think that the reason we're here is that after Alston last summer, Mark Emmert and the people, the lawyers that on that side of things said they were kind of realistic about it. We see where this is headed. Like we can't try to enforce this stuff anymore. But the people on the ground, the ADs, the coaches, the commissioners were like, no, 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 no. You have to enforce this. This is screwing with our sport. You hear, um, I often hear, you probably do too, people, coaches in particular say, this is not what NIL was intended for. You know, no, no, no. We, we, we just wanted it to be autograph signings and, and, and endorsement deals. We didn't want it to turn into this, which I get it. You know, when you say this, to... you're talking about the recruiting aspect, not the yes. players who are already in the program. That's the difference. No, everybody's fine, I think, with the players who are already in the program making whatever deals they're making now. They probably, well, let me, how do I say it? I don't know that that means, because what we are starting to see a little bit of, and I'm sure we'll see more of is current player threatens to transfer if he doesn't get a better NIL deal. Boosters come back and give him a better NIL deal. That's kind of the same thing as inducing a recruit. You're inducing the kid to stay in school. Or, you, school. or if he could stay as opposed to go to the NFL because he thinks the money right. is significant. I mean, I go back to this. It feels like forever ago, but it's not even a calendar year ago. I remember the first night of the Elite 11, which was in Los Angeles. Uh, it's probably about 11 months ago now. Um, and I remember I had turned in a story where I had talked to coaches, uh, head coaches, about NIL. And I just remember like having to walk some of our editors through because they were like, but this isn't how the rule is. This is not because it was like everyone was kind of operating. And one particular coach was like, oh, no, this is exactly what they're going to do. The boosters are being, you know, I've been basically been told you want to bitch about, you, you know, top recruits leaving the area to go to some other school. Now's your chance. Now's your chance to put your money up where, you know, like and that's exactly that is exactly what has happened. And coaches saw at least some coaches saw it coming and i think a lot of people you know i think we're so conditioned to think all right this is how it's this is how it's supposed to be as opposed to we're just going to muscle up through this and it's going to change now i don't know if it was surprising that it took seven months from that point for it to get that way i don't even think it took that long to be honest because i've heard stories of you know from september of schools with money people basically buying recruits to commit to schools and that was you know whatever it was that was probably three months after it but it is you know it's really interesting because it feels like a long time ago and it's really not even a year from that story and it was just like I remember having like kind of a little bit of an epiphany when I was on the phone with this person about what this was going to change because again I think a lot of us were like okay this would be great for like the women's gymnast, and this will be great for the kid who goes back to their local community to run a football camp or, you know, does a deal with a local pizza company. And all those things can still be good and all those things can still happen. But it's like the stuff that is going to be difference makers when it comes to competition and when it comes to recruiting and the enticement, that's the stuff that was only a matter of time before it just kind of the floodgates were open. And for me, I was focused on myself. I was focused on all the positive benefits. And those have happened, by the way, uh, in terms of, you know, non-revenue athletes being able to make money. Uh, we've seen walk-ons, you know, being part of NIL deals. Um, that's all great. I did. I'm not naive. I knew boosters would try to use it, uh, you know, as a loophole to, to buy recruits. I did not anticipate that it would be at this scale this quickly where you've got these highly organized, you know, collectives, uh, the dollar figures, certainly the, the $2 million a year for the five-star, uh, 2023 recruit. I mean, we went to that real fast and, and so everybody's in a little bit of shock, but part of it is college sports 
is not big on a free market. You know, it has never been a free market. There's always been constraints that, you know, whether you're talking about transfers, not being able, you know, having to sit out a year, um, you, you know, even you could argue number of scholarship reductions in some way or, or a cap on the free market. But certainly what they're trying to do right now is control a free market. Um, the last 10 months we've seen NIL as a free market with no regulations, no enforcement, and you're seeing what's happening, you're seeing the numbers, and now they want to step in 10 months later and, and suppress that, put a stop on that. And so it's going to, I think it's going to be an interesting legal fight. I also don't know how, why, I don't know why the Gene Smiths of the world have such confidence that the NCA enforcement department is going to like ride in like Superman to the rescue here. We're still talking about the same group of people and it's a very small group of people. I, I think I saw that there's only 15 people in the NCA enforcement department right now who can't can't figure out a way to sanction Kansas basketball for things that happened in 2017, um, who constantly, um, they couldn't, these are the same people that couldn't figure out a way to bust UNC for two decades of academic fraud. And now they're saying, we want you to go in. And by the way, these collectives, they have lawyers. They're not dumb. They've been preparing for this. Uh, we want you to go in and, and, and save us from this, uh, uh, this out of control market that we're seeing. And when I read some of the language in the uh, guidelines, I was like, oh, you could already kind of see how they're going to get around it. Like, for, for example, um, in this list of guidance related to prospective student athletes, um, a booster NIL entity may not communicate with a PSA, that's a prospective student athlete, a PSA's family or others affiliated with the PSA for a recruiting purpose or to encourage the PSA's enrollment at a particular institution. I can already see when they go to interview the guys at the collective, they're going to say, oh, it wasn't for a recruiting purpose. We were just talking to him about his marketing abilities and, and um, you know, how much money he can expect to make as a college athlete because he's so marketable. Um, NIL agreements must be based on an independent case-by-case -case analysis of the value that each athlete brings to an NIL agreement as opposed to providing compensation or incentives for enrollment decisions. I've seen some of these contracts. There is no mention of enrollment of you have to enroll at X school. Um, it's, it's, uh, we know that that's what's really happening, but it's not in writing. So how do you prove that, that they didn't do this independent case-by-case, -case, that they didn't look at, um, five star X and say, uh, based on his popularity and his, uh, what we think he's going to accomplish in college, we think he is worth X, uh, as opposed to we're just, we're making this number based on what we think it would take to get him to come to our school. So it's gonna be a lot of technicalities. What is the price you put on art? I mean, it's hard yeah. to say it. It's like, look, there's car dealers who often are boosters of, of local programs. They may provide a car to a star player if they had a really good game. What is the fair compensation for that? Is it one tweet about the dealership? You know, it's just, yeah. it's, I think it's a very, very vague thing that they're going to take a swing at. Um, you know, I, I think it would not be surprising if, if in fact the, the people inside the Pac-12 are right and they think the, the NCAA is going to try to make example of one school or somebody. But when they do that, you know, what happens then all of a sudden to you have so many other examples of of collectives and different things where they've been very aggressive. And it's like, OK, you're going to go after this school, but not that school or this entity, but not but not that entity, especially when I think a lot of these places, from my understanding, have been running things by compliance offices. Now, that doesn't give That's you right. complete cover, but you would think they're not going into this completely blind and so this is this to me, and I could be wrong. There may be examples of this that that are counter to it, but of the booster, one individual rogue booster off, you know, kind of booster off the grid, who's pay who paid somebody's relative in their town something, and it was kind of sloppily done, and maybe they can get caught for that. Like a lot of this seems seems a little, as best I can tell, as best we can tell, more buttoned up. So. You know who knows, but I do think there's going to be some areas where 
Um, yeah, you know, and I don't know how, because you said their enforcement staff isn't that big, but just like I remember going back to this again, Arizona State is still in its own um, issues with its own scandal under Herm Edwards. And one of the things that I remember talking to us to a school that's not even in their conference about some of the ASU issues, and they pointed out, you know, when you start interviewing recruits, a lot of them don't know what the rules are. So they may speak freely about things that they just assumed are okay. And that's where things sometimes get tripped up. It's just, you know, like how how is this going to work out? Like how how big of a net can the NCAA cast at this point from a manpower and resources aspect on this thing too? Well, I got to figure that their first, one of if not their first targets is going to be John Ruiz. I would think it's going to the, be actually Tennessee. I would say it's one of those two. Because Tennessee is already in their crosshairs from the Jeremy Pruitt stuff. Yeah, Tennessee, and like I said, Spire has been as public and brazen about this. I mean, a lot of these collectives are trying to be pretty secretive. They're out there in the open. So I'd say it's either them or John Ruiz. Uh, John Ruiz John Ruiz has almost been tempting fate by tweeting out numbers and he, he keeps going on these tweet rants about how he's doing it the right way. And he thinks that the collectives or he's, you know, it's for his own agenda. But the collectives, the ones that are especially the ones that are organized as nonprofits are in trouble because they won't be able to. Well, the nonprofit that, part does seem a little, a little dicey, dicey. Yeah, I think that's different. Uh, by the way, John Ruiz is an attorney. So right. I, that, that doesn't mean he has all the answers, but it. I think he'd be likely to be more buttoned up on this front than some of the others who are not do not have that background. Well, his thing is that he has a legitimate company. It's, it wasn't a something a collective that was formed three months ago. It's a, it was an existing company. He's paying Miami athletes to endorse that company. There's an actual there should be at least some sort of paper trail showing that they actually did work in exchange for their money. Now he has definitely contacted recruits. Um, he he said he, he you know the Cavender twins from from Fresno State who t- transferred to Miami he definitely met with them before they signed with Miami so you know according to these guidelines that were just handed out he should be in trouble for that that should be an open and shut thing but I think he's going to come back and say uh, I wasn't meeting with them to recruit them to Miami I was meeting with them to talk about their business opportunity I'm a business and they're client. It's going to take them years. You know, they will try to make an example of somebody. It will take years to play out. And in the meantime, like if this is meant to be a deterrence, think about we're only 10 months into this. Think about how much more this is going to progress over the next few years. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second. But now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So post your job for free at linkedin.com audible. That's linkedin.com audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, you want to talk about some football? Yes, let's get into it. Um, I think I think I know where this is headed. You want to talk about the Pac-12. I want to talk some conference title odds. Yeah. Um, are these legitimate? I will ask you that. Um, these are courtesy of BetOnline, betonline.ag. All right, so we have, as we're looking at the email, you and I are both looking at the same email, Five, the power of five odds to win each conference in 22-23. Let's go straight to the Pac-12 because that was the one that raised the most eyebrows. USC, 4-8 and eight team last year. Yes, they have Caleb Williams. Yes, they have Travis Dye. Yes, they have Lincoln Riley. Are the favorites at 2-1. to one. Followed by, it depends. I mean, as we know, these, you know, Vegas uh, odds makers are trying to determine it's it's less about actual so you're not surprised just say yes or no i'm surprised it's that low i'm not surprised that they would give them really good odds because they're at like four to one yeah that they know the public a lot of the public's going to bet on lincoln riley but two to one i will tell you the thing that jumped out at me arizona state the the fourth best price tag here 17 to 2 Arizona State has like you could you may be a scholarship receiver for them right now they are so depleted because they've had so many players and key players jump in the portal to get away from that place it has been in total disarray the odds that that only USC Oregon and Utah are considered you know better you know a stronger pick than them like I honestly would not be surprised if they were the worst team in the Pac-12. I was just going to say, I was wondering if I could get 17 to 2 odds to pick them to finish dead last in the conference. Because (laughs) think about this disparity here. They've got Arizona State at 17 to 2. So roughly, uh, you know, I'm not a math genius, but roughly, roughly 9 to 1, right? Let's say 9 to 1. Stanford is 80 to 1. Colorado is 200 to 1. And Arizona is 500 to 1. Would it surprise you, on a scale of 10, how much would it surprise you if it come the end of the season, Arizona has a better record than Arizona State? I don't know, two? Yeah. So this tells me this isn't based at all on returning, you know, they they haven't been looking at the portal necessarily. It's just last year's record. This, uh, the odds makers who did this, basically are running on the same calendar as the old... um, preseason guide edit calendar which meant it would always go to print like before spring football so you'd have a lot of stuff that was very felt stale and dated and the portal changed things and everything else has changed things and i feel like quite honestly that's how the asu view on this is okay so who should be the betting favorite i have my idea and it's for some reason the team it's the team that won it last year that for some reason now has the third best odds, Utah at five to one. Yeah, I don't and I like right now I would have that's probably around where I would have them. I mean I'm not saying they're invincible, um, but they're definitely to me the team to beat. Yeah, they're the most stable team there. I mean I I'm you know, I think this speaks to kind of the 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 weakness of the Pac-12, right? USC has to do a lot of upgrading personnel-wise on their defense if they're going to be like a real two-to-one. Um, Oregon has recruited well, but it's a new staff. There's a lot of question marks there. I think that's a little bit, um, you know, it's a little bit inflated. ASU, I wouldn't have anywhere near there. UCLA, I think, is is fine. To me, UCLA is very similar right now to Utah. They're a very physical team. They have the best, probably the best running back in the league. They have a really experienced quarterback. Defensively, they've been very average, though. And they got to get better on that. Average is being kind. Well, they were like 60th last year, Stu. I mean, that's average. Um, But then you look at Washington, new staff. Washington State, new staff. Oregon State is 40 to 1. I think, you know, that's about right. Cal, 66 to 1. 
you know, that feels about right. You know, Stanford is the third, you know, lowest here. And that shows you kind of how far, you know, what people think of them at this point. So I don't think it's shocking. It's just, this is what you're picking out of the Pac-12. Um, let's move to... Can I tell you the price that jumped out at me as like maybe the best values to me on this? Of any conference? Yes. Yes. All right. I want to go to the ACC. So we have Clemson at two to three, Miami at five to one, Pitt at nine to one, and there it is. NC State, 10 to one. I really like NC State at 10 to one. They have what I arguably, outside of maybe Alabama, the best crew of linebackers in the country. Devin Leary has played a lot of football. He's good. Um, they do lose Icky up front, but this is a pretty talented team. 10 to one, I really like uh, the, I really like the pack out of the ACC. I, I, you're absolutely right. Now, I think NC State on paper has the best team returning in the ACC, even better than Clemson. And yet, I, <laughs> it's like, you know, people weren't going to believe that Georgia would actually win the national title until it happened. When's the last time NC State won the ACC? In the 70s? And they didn't win it when Russell, when Russell Wilson was there. No. Uh, you know, they've always been this really, this program that stopped, never quite seemed to to climb the mountain. Something always goes wrong. And so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of hesitant to say they're going to win the ACC, but I would agree with you that those are, those are interesting odds. By the way, what about your guys at Wake Forest who had a really good season last year? Uh, won 11 games and yet they're 20 to one to win the ACC. Yeah. Sorry. As we're talking, I'm looking back to see when the last time NC state, you know, did that. I don't even know. Cause it's like, that's, you know, they had 1973, they were undefeated in the, in the, uh, ACC under Lou Holtz. Um, I don't know if that was a team. That doesn't surprise me. If you were to tell me he was the last coach there to win the ACC, I would, I would believe you. Um, by the way, Wake Forest, again, like I said, Wake Forest, there's just no respect for the little guys here. Wake Forest, 20 to 1 to win the ACC. Texas is 2 to 1 to win the Big 12. Yeah. By the way, the one that I, I'm kind of, the other one I would be intrigued by is because it's such a long odd. Louisville has a really good quarterback. I think they have a good coaching staff, and they are 66 to 1. 66 to 1 is a huge, huge underdog. Um, I, I get the feeling as soon as we log off today, you're going to be hopping on that site. Um, NC State's last ACC championship was actually in 1979. I could give you a hundred guesses. You would not guess who the coach was. Um, I'd be cheating. I know it's Bo Ryan. You did know that? Oh, okay. Um, they went I know seven he, and four. I know he followed he followed Holtz, and I know he I know the guy before after him was Monty Kiffin. I don't know how long Monty was there, but I know Monty was the guy after him in the like uh, around 1980. Bo Rain, Ryan, is it okay? I'm I'm gonna have to make a confession here. I don't I didn't know who he was as as evidenced by the fact that I just mispronounced the last name, and I certainly didn't know this. Detail. Did you know how it, what happened to him? No, the following the 1979 season, he had taken the job at LSU, but was killed in an aircraft accident in January 1980 before he coached a game for the Tigers. He passed away at the age of 34. Uh, no, I did not know any of that. I guess because you were already following you, you're since you're so much older than me, you were already. I'm, first of all, I'm actually not that much older than you, and people <laughs> think we're the same age. By the way, I had somebody tell me that that at our offsite. Well, they think we're the same age? Yes. Somebody who's seen both our hair colors? Yes. Somebody who's seen both of us in person, phys physically. Huh. Don't don't fool yourself. You do not look like you are... People remember, people think you're older than Teddy Greenstein at in the Northwestern thing. So, Well, I guess I get a better get to the gym. That doesn't speak well <laughs> for me. <laughs> um, any other... Uh, uh, we didn't. I mean, the Big Ten. Obviously, you knew Ohio State was going to be the the overwhelming favorite, and they are at one to two. Little surprise who comes next, though. Not a team from the Big Ten East, but Wisconsin at ten to one. I know that. I know the price you like here most. It is twenty eight to one. It is the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Stu, tell the listeners why you are sweet on the Gophers at that price. I do like the Gophers, but if I would not, 
you could not get me to bet on anybody at Ohio State, just than C.J. Stroud and, and all those guys. By the way, uh, there's a team uh, that went 3-9 and nine last year that has the fifth best odds to win the Big Ten. Do you know who that is? I do. Um, they're due. They're due for some good breaks. I don't know if I'm buying Nebraska. Only 14-1, to one, though. That's better. You know, it's, you know what's a little nuts to me on that? Wake Forest just had a great year. Wake Forest has a lot of really good players back. You know, not just a quarterback, not just A.T. Perry, even like a receiver who may be every bit as good who missed last year. And they're 20 to 1. And here is Nebraska having a, an abysmal year at 14 to 1. The recurring theme, Bruce, is that they clearly think the public just wants to bet on big names, right? USC, Texas, Nebraska. I mean, think about that. Texas went four, uh, 5 and 7 last year, um, hasn't been all that good in about 15 years, and they are 2 to 1 to win the Big 12. I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but how can it be two to one? Well, if I'm not mistaken, ESPN in their preseason rankings has Texas number six right now. Texas yeah. number six. I did notice that there's a there's a pretty strong correlation between these odds and the FPI because I know Wake Forest is low in those. Um, yeah, those the, any of those kind of preseason FPI, FPI or whatever it is FPI is is total crap. I don't think it's total crap. You don't. But, but I, number six. No, that is that is crazy. I don't think it's total crap. They had somebody else like outrageously high last year. We're like that has to be a misprint. I forgot who it was. I, I, I think, think that, that the, the I think as the season goes on, those any of those power ratings tend to normalize themselves. But right now they're just a guess. And so I know I don't know their exact method. I know Bill Connolly's methodology better than I know FPI and recruiting rankings are a high part of it, as you would expect right like that's recruiting rankings are are you know if you're trying to predict how somebody's going to do those are dated things like i mean i th think people would be going to the mat on usc because they still had high recruiting rank recruiting ranked players who weren't who didn't live up to that well that's probably why usc has such great odds in this thing right because their recruiting rankings are good for the most part they did have that one really bad year and then and then you add in Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley, and and that's how you end up where you are. But yeah, these power rankings are always going to, in the preseason at least, favor the big name teams that recruit because Wake Forest doesn't do that. So if recruiting rankings are part of it. Uh, their Wake Forest recruiting rankings are going to drag down their preseason ranking regardless of what they did last season. I think some of this has to do with what you said. It's the name thing. Sometimes those rankings are tied into the name thing too. Whereas, you know, if it's a site or a place that gets kind of bloated fan base, sometimes their recruiting rankings get a little bit of a sweetener. So in the preseason FPI, Texas is number six. Uh, is that right? Yep. Auburn is 10. Utah is down at uh, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Baylor, who won the Big 12 last year, is 20. Um, your NC State Wolfpack are outside the top 25. So yeah, it's, you know, Nebraska is not that high, but you you say it. You, you don't I think it's crap. Our I think it's ESPN. absolute crap. Okay. All right. Um, odds for the Big 12. Which one you like as a value? Baylor. Uh, I know they lost a lot of their core players, but I still think that um, they're they're more proven. Um, I think they're fifteen to two. Like I'm not I'm not sure who I'll pick to win the Big Twelve. I just know that fifth, Baylor being that much worse odds than Texas doesn't make any sense to me. You feeling you feeling good about J T Daniels in Morgantown with his old coach? Uh, actually, I'll tell you who has great value is Kansas State. Kansas State is a team that when I last did my early top 25, I strongly considered including in the top 25. Uh, I mean, they've got Adrian Martinez now, so you probably have them like 3-1. to one.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We haven't touched the SEC. Um, Alabama one to one odds to win the SEC, and I, I actually have trouble disagreeing with that. Followed by Georgia at five to four, A and M at eleven to one, and then a big drop off to Florida and Ole Miss at thirty three to one. Do you see anybody outside of Alabama, Georgia, or A and M winning the conference this year? Uh, I don't see anybody outside of Alabama or Georgia. I wouldn't put A and M in that batch at this point. Right. Um, as I'm looking at this, like, what would I say as the long shot that I'm like beyond the top three that I'd be like, ooh, I kind of like that price. Um, hey, if you want to get in on Spencer Rattler, South Carolina, 100 to 1. Um, what if I want to get in on the Brian Kelly era at LSU? Because they're, and this is, you know, you talk about recruiting rankings and, and big name programs. I'm really actually surprised that LSU is 50 to one. They're treating them like they're treating, um, they have, they have LSU with lower odds than Kentucky and I don't necessarily blame them. I'm just surprised given the love for the big recruiting powers in the other conferences. Yeah. I mean, look, LSU will have as, as talented a defensive line as there probably is. I don't know how strong I feel about their offensive line. That had been an issue. They're trying to rebuild it. You know, they have a bunch of different options at quarterback. I think the receivers will be good. I, 50 to one doesn't surprise me. Look, Auburn 66 to one, and that's a top 10 team according to ESPN's FPI. 66 to one for Auburn. Arkansas, who had, you know I what? think. I'm starting to realize something. Arkansas, I feel like that the people at Bet Online kind of mailed it in on the other conferences. And then the SEC, they actually put some time and thought into it because these actually do match up pretty closely with what I would think the expectations are arkansas is pretty low at 66 to 1 that surprised me too i liked what arkansas did with uh off season the people they added transfer wise i think they definitely brought in some really talented guys on defense it's just man that that division is so loaded um yeah i think they're having trouble giving i'm sure that's a big part when you've got alabama one-to-one to win the conference that alone means that any other SEC West team, uh, they don't think has much of a chance. I mean, what's what's interesting to that is what you just said, but you have, a, like the Big Ten, Ohio State is even more of a favorite. They're one to two. And in their same division, you have an 11 to one and a 12 to one in Michigan and Penn State. Um, and then you have Michigan State at 25 to one. So I'm sure the math works out, maybe. Um, but it's interesting to me because in, like I said, in that same division, whereas where you have a, where you have a one-to-one as opposed to a one-to-two, you have one 11 to one, and then you have to drop all the way down to a 33 to one and then a 50 to one for the next, next best prices in the SEC West. See what I mean? Might have to get somebody from Bet Online on the on the on the pod next week to explain themselves. We've already given them plenty of publicity. It's fine. What do you say we get to the mailbag? As always, send your questions to the Audible Pod at gmail.com. Yep, Bruce, uh, this one's right up your alley from Max Cradleman. Hey Bruce and Stu, it's about Matt Rule. There's been some speculation that this will be his last season in Carolina before making the jump back to the college game. How will ADs evaluate his stint in the NFL? If he were to return, what interest would he garner? Would it be from programs considered a step back from Baylor? Or Saban and Pete Carroll landed some pretty sweet jobs at the NFL. after the NFL. Do you see Rule doing the same? I do see Rule doing the same. I mean, 
He did a, a really good job at Temple, and he did a great job at Baylor. Um, he could have gone to been the head coach at Oregon. Instead, he chose Baylor, which was a big rebuild, as you know, not just from a, uh, from a branding-wise, but just to coming off the Bryles, Ken Starr, Ian McCaw, you know, just it really needed the right guy to elevate and get people to hit the right tone. And he did all that. And he ele- he evaluated extremely well, as evidenced by a lot of the players that were at this year's combine. I think his fingerprints were all over the team. Not to, not to say Dave Aranda didn't deserve a ton of credit, but like those were mostly his guys on that, on that Baylor big 12 title team. So if Matt rule is is out of the NFL if it comes to that I think he will be a huge free agent for and the other thing with Matt rule is he's a guy who has spent time obviously in Texas he is from the Northeast I mean there's not a place because I think if you can if you can do well at Baylor in Texas I think you could you could you could handle the SEC if you can be Texas you can be the SEC I think he is one of those guys who's not very regional. I think I could see Matt Rule just about anywhere. So to me, he would be a huge commodity out there if there's a big job open. I feel like colleges pretty much ignore. If you if you don't work out in the NFL, that doesn't like invalidate what you did as a college coach. Think back to... You, you're 100% on that? Think back to Arkansas hiring Bobby Petrino amidst a, a disastrous first season at, uh, at with the Atlanta Falcons. Um, think about Chip Kelly. Uh, didn't his last 49ers team go like 1-15, 2-14, something like that? And, there, and people were, you know, schools were bidding against each other to get him. Let me ask you this. If Urban wanted to come back and mm. That's different. That's, that's, uh, Why is that different? Because the other ones were like Matt Rule is not having he hasn't been part of some scandal he just hasn't had winning teams. The Urban's and and also let's not forget Urban's college tenure ended in scandal, so it's it's an accumulation of baggage there. No, I don't I don't think or we've talked about that. We don't need to keep going back. We already know what his job's going to be this fall. It's not going to be uh, on a college sideline. All right, next question, Stu. Next question is from Evan and Charlotte. Um, oh, good. A realignment question. Longtime fan of the pod. Which of these two scenarios do you see is more likely to occur before the end of the ACC's infamous TV deal that runs through 2036? One, the ACC adds Notre Dame, signaling a continuation of the current conference landscape, and the ACC becomes revitalized as a financially competitive power conference. Or two, the SEC adds Clemson and Miami, indicating a collapse of the ACC and a consolidation of the major brands into super conferences led by the SEC and the Big Ten. Is there an option three? <laughs> My instinct was going to say one, just because when I heard the Clemson and Miami thing, I was like, yeah, they like the part that that doesn't, I don't think, and I could be wrong now because I feel like some of this stuff can is more fluid than it used to be. But like, would Florida want Miami in the SEC? Would they do everything they could to block it? The thing is, I don't know how well some of those things hold up when, you know, Texas A&M, Texas stuff happens. Are we sure that Clemson and Miami would be the two? I think Clemson would definitely be one of them. I mean, if Miami gets, if Mario Cristobal gets Miami back to where it is, it's a huge TV market. They, They rate really well on TV. You look at their history, they rate, you know, they are a national brand. I agree. Um, you know, the issue with all these things is there is a grant of rights that the ACC schools have handed over their rights through 2036 and a long time. And, and maybe you can break them. Nobody has ever tried to break a grant of rights. There has always been speculation that if you actually did take it to court, you might be able to get out of it. But if you couldn't, whew, that's a lot of lost money. So, I think the only way scenario two happens is if the entire is if the ACC as a whole collapses and they're just kind of able to get out of it. I don't think um, that's going to happen. And, you know, like. I just think that ESPN is too invested in the ACC for it to collapse. I think Jim Phillips, you and I both 
I think respect him a lot, especially as it relates to other leaders around college sports. I just think that they have, and again, I could be proven wrong, but I just think ESPN's too invested in the ACC for it to to just collapse. And when you say too invested, you mean because they have the ACC network? Yeah. But they also have the SEC network. They do, but I just don't think, you know, there's a, there's a big element of basketball, which is a lot of programming that they have. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it basically carries their network from, from I don't know, from basically January to, to, to April. January to, to through the conference tournament. Through March, yes. yeah. Yeah. I, I, no, I agree. I mean, programming, um, like, never underestimate the value of programming to TV networks. You know, it just, it, it, it's something. I mean, you see it, like, I can see it now with Fox as it relates to the USFL, right? It's like, I think, you know, not to speak too far out of school, but I just feel like people would do anything to avoid having two guys just talk constantly. <laughs> the irony of this on, <laughs> on our podcast to say this. The only way Notre Dame is going to join the AC, would there's what's the incentive of the of Notre Dame to join the ACC at this point, assuming we get an expanded playoff. If, if there's it's going to be four for the rest of time, then maybe Notre Dame starts to second guess. Maybe unless you can tell uh, Notre Dame people, hey, we will prevent your lacrosse program from getting screwed. Uh, then... I gotta, I gotta pay more attention to that controversy. It, it, it kind of snuck up on me. It um, is, a, it is actually a, like there's a couple of college sports that I feel like are vastly under, underappreciated. Lacrosse is getting there. I feel like both, both. Um, you know, women's basketball has gotten there, but I feel like like uh, softball and baseball are really entertaining sports with colleges, and I just feel like the more people see of them, they'll appreciate. It. And I definitely feel like lacrosse is in there. Funny you mentioned that, Bruce. I went to my first college softball game this past weekend. I took my daughter to the Stanford Oregon uh, softball game, and you're right. It and and I often end up watching the women's college World Series. That's an exciting sport. Um, all right. So we, I don't know if I got an answer. So we didn't really give a conclusive answer to him. I, 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 what I, what I would just say is, and I've said this for years is that, and it's especially, you know, the NIL situation I think is only going to increase the likelihood of this is that you're going to see a collapse of the conference models entirely. You're going to see the top 25 or 30 college football programs form their own super league as he refers to here. And Clemson and Miami would be in that, um, but I don't know that the, um, I don't know that it would mean, yes, the SEC and Big Ten are, are pulling away from everybody else. I don't, like, I don't, that crazy idea I just said seems more likely to me than the SEC and Big Ten joining forces. I think, I'm not sure the SEC and Big Ten have ever been more philosophical opposites than they are right now. I would agree with that. I, I just think the leadership just doesn't seem to be on the same same page i just feel like the fan bases are kind of unique to themselves and that's okay now i would say ohio state has more in common with a lot of the sec than they do with a lot of the big 10 um and that's why i think you'll see big time college football programs like that texas um usc you know the blue bloods uh team up at some point because they're just they're they're gonna if they're not already they're gonna just be playing in a different sport where the money is just so stratospherically higher than what Wake Forest is playing with or Purdue's playing with and and it's just not gonna that model is not gonna continue to hold up that that's more likely to me than the two exact scenarios that Evan gave us okay um, I'm gonna he addressed this to me but I'm gonna address it to you because you know a lot more about the NFL draft Blaine from Virginia says dear Stu you are a big time supporter of watching college film over combine measurables for NFL draft scouting. But aren't there limits to this when the team is too good? How can you know that the fifth best player on the Georgia defense is a first-round draft pick when guys ahead of him make him look so good on film? It's a good question. I mean, look, one of the things that I really try to do with the, the way I do my mock draft was talk to coaches who faced these players because they're the ones who are, as opposed to just watching the film, they know what they're trying to do to them. So they know how the player is used they know what how they're trying to exploit him or work around him and i think that's the part but it's also a big projection you know in terms of 
what is some somebody going to become? I go back to like Ziggy Ansah, who, you know, flashed a little bit, but was really more of a, what can he become as opposed to what do we think he is right now? I think you also have to factor in, you know, the NFL is a much more physical game. And so how well will somebody hold up? We've seen plenty of guys who, um, you know, they look great in college. And then all of a sudden when it's in that level, like, look, you know, our guy Scooby Wright was a just racked up stats and was everywhere for Arizona. And he didn't last very long in the NFL. Now, maybe he'll have he'll get he's getting a second win in the USFL. But I just think in terms of length and some of the things that really maybe you can work around in college, those things, um, you know, I go back to some of the position coaches I know in the NFL who are really in the details and they'll kind of explain and this is a good example, like David Bell, um, North uh, Purdue receiver, right? You remember him? Was I remember him. Caliber. I loved him. Yeah, All-American caliber. And so when I talked to a couple of NFL position coaches, because I was like, because I think one, one of our colleagues at The Athletic, I think it was Scott Docterman, did an interesting story about David Bell maybe a month ago. And the comparison was... Um, Maybe he can have a career like Jarvis Landry or Anquan Bolden, both physical receivers who were not, you know, they were four, six and change, maybe four, seven guys. And when I brought that up to some position coaches, they were like, yeah, but Anquan Bolden had a suddenness. The challenge is if you're a guy who just does not have that ability to change gears and kind of have that burst, you're going to have a hard time in the NFL. And I think those are the things where it's like, I think that's the stuff that the NFL, you know, the experts probably have a better feel for than we do. Or it's like, oh, this guy was just really, really good in college. But you forget who he's going up against as opposed to who will be going up against in the NFL where it's just so much different. And I think that's the part where it's also a projection. You know, like I had a guy, a scout I talked to for one of my stories who talk about to Kobe Durant, who is one of the best HBCU players. And, you know, Clemson fans might remember me had two picks against them. But, like, what was interesting was he came to college. He was, like, 150-some pounds. He was in a program that did not have the same resources if he was, like, an SEC program. And so he never got really, you know, above, like, he probably put on, like, 15 pounds in college, whereas in this process, you know, now they think he's going to be, like, 195 pounds. So I think you're projecting a guy as to what he what he's going to be as opposed to maybe what they see right now. I thought he was going to say well, I don't know what I thought he was going to say, but wouldn't I my if I were asking that question or a question like that, my bigger question would be not so much um, how do you how do you evaluate the fifth best player in the Georgia defense? It would be more like how do they evaluate these FCS players who aren't playing against NFL you know, for the most part, other future NFL players. How do you project? Um, how do you project how a guy who's playing against? Is it that much different uh, than a Mac player, though? I mean, the Missouri Valley to me, you know, is very close to right now what the Mac is. Uh, I think you're right about that. Uh, I, I'm, I'm guessing. You know, there's a, there's a there's a range right across FCS. The North Dakota States. Um, I mean, clearly they've. Figured that they, they made an evaluation on Trey Lance. Um, I don't, I, I just, you know, if it's a, a lower rung FCS league and you're projecting how that guy's going to go from playing against Furman to how he's going to do playing against the Green Bay Packers, seems very challenging to me, but that's why I don't do that for a living. And that's why they want to get them in the Senior Bowl where they can watch them practice, it, you know, have rep after rep um, against other top level players. You know, I just remember, you know, it was invaluable for me to, to do the Senior Bowl story I did at midseason. They talked a lot about Cole Strange. I think Cole Strange did play Kentucky, so there's a little bit of sample size. You do have guys, you know, Bernhard Ryman, who was the Austrian exchange student offensive tackle for Central Michigan. He did play against LSU, and obviously LSU has a lot of talented defensive linemen, so you can get more than a snapshot of what they, you know, like in that window. I think the harder thing is when... You know, it's a Division Two guy, and there's, you know, like there's very few. Like Kyle Duggar was one, and the Patriots took him, and he was a definitely a measurables guy. You know, my guy, Derek Young, like I've had a bunch of guys on the freaks list who were, you know, like athletes that really kind of wow people. I'm like, okay, 
what is he going to develop into? You know, I had one who was a Division II All-American, Jason Poe, who numbers-wise is 6'1", 300 pounds, and runs as well as a lot of fullbacks. And that's what some teams are looking at him, looked at him as. So I think, you know, once they see the numbers and the scouts are really good at that, then all of a sudden they start watching the film and they're like, okay, is there something we can work with here? You know, and it's not like, I think they're looking for traits and I think they're looking for things that like, can they develop into something as opposed to, is this guy a finished product? And, and are we counting on him right now as opposed to, can he develop into something? All right. I think that puts a wrap on our episode. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. I swear one of these episodes will get to a point where we're not talking about NIL and collectives, but this, we're clearly not there yet. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.